Welcome to this episode of Impact Education's Payer Talk CE program entitled Understanding Best Practices in Access to Pediatric Dermatologic Care for Children and Living with Atopic Dermatitis. My name is Gary Owens, and I'll serve as the host for the meeting. I'm president of Gary Owens Associates and have about 30 years' experience in the payer world, mostly in the Blue Cross system. I'm joined by our guest expert, Dr. Joy Wong, who's Assistant Professor of Dermatology at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore. Welcome, Dr. Wong. Thank you so much, Dr. Owens. It's great to be here with you today. And thank you to the audience for joining us today. And before we get started, I want to let our audience know that this Payer Talk program is jointly provided by the National Eczema Association, Partners for Advancing Clinical Education and Impact Education, and is designed for a half hour of continuing education credit. This activity is supported by an independent educational grant from Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, and we wish to thank them for their generous support. And, and so, Dr. Wan, let's start off by hearing a little bit, a little bit about your role as a pediatric dermatologist. Sure. So um, as you mentioned earlier, Dr. Owens, I've been an assistant professor of dermatology here at Johns Hopkins since 2021. And in this role, I, I practice clinically as a pediatric dermatologist and also spend a significant portion of my time doing research in atopic dermatitis. And so on the clinical side, um, I care for uh, primarily pediatric patients, and most are under the age of 18 or um, sometimes 21. And many of them have atopic dermatitis, but I also care for patients with a variety of other skin conditions, ranging from common things to, to rare skin diseases as well. And our practice here at Johns Hopkins is a very sort of wide, diverse um, population catching practice. So we see patients from all over, the majority of our patients are probably from the Baltimore metropolitan area, but we care for patients from all around the entire state of Maryland, as well as surrounding states, including Virginia, Pennsylvania, Delaware, um, even West Virginia, and, and certainly DC as well. And so, you know, we're very lucky to have a very diverse uh, patient population here. And we have patients from all racial and ethnic backgrounds. Um, we also care for children who are both publicly and commercially insured. So we really have a lot of experience kind of interfacing with payers, right, uh, across the board, as well as a clinical center. And I would say that among my patients with atopic dermatitis, Many of them are either newly or recently diagnosed um, by their pediatrician, and I'm the first pediatric dermatologist that they're seeing, and they're being referred to me for management of the atopic dermatitis. But then I also care for a large number of patients who have had just very long-standing disease, you know, and, and maybe they've had it since infancy, but they're not getting to me until they're in their sort of middle childhood years, you know, five, six, seven eight years old. And, and oftentimes that, that may be because their disease has become more severe over time or that um, the family is, is, again, just kind of seeking to, to reestablish care with a dermatologist sometimes. So yeah, I, I you know, had the, the chance to care for a variety of patients with atopic dermatitis and happy to be here today to provide you know, more perspective on, on that for this uh, discussion. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wan. It is certainly a unique and broad experience uh, uh, that you have where you're caring for, you know, an inner city population on one hand and then an academic referral population on another hand and a really broad spectrum of patients. Can you tell me a little bit about, and I hate to use the word typical because, you know, like many disease states, typical is not always easy to define, but just tell me a little bit about how 
typically patients end up getting to you at a at an academic center. Yeah, so so I agree with you. I think there's not always a, a quote unquote typical or you know common path, right, that any given um, patient and, and family may take. So I'll just mention kind of the varied ways that I have seen people kind of come to to me. So some children come to see me right after the initial diagnosis. And oftentimes that diagnosis may be made by a primary care physician, a family physician, a pediatrician. And so when the diagnosis gets made, sometimes the family requests to see a specialist in the field. And so um, we'll certainly catch some kids that way is, is sort of just, you know, a family kind of preferred referral to specialty care to just establish care with us and, and also to kind of get our involvement in, in managing, you know, their care. And then, you know, sometimes, um, unfortunately, some children are quite severe, even at initial presentation and diagnosis to their pediatrician or other primary care physician. And so just based on the severity of their disease, they may immediately get a referral to come and see us. And then, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, some children may not come to see me at initial diagnosis, perhaps because, you know, they're going to try some treatments that are being prescribed by their primary care physician or pediatrician first. And so, you know, oftentimes in, in those cases, they might get referred to me um, either because the family would like to be referred or because the treating provider would like to refer them because they have unfortunately failed some of the early treatments that they have tried. And, and so then, you know, we're talking about caring for families and, and children who may have sometimes more recalcitrant atopic dermatitis or just more severe disease that has been inadequately um, controlled with previous treatments. And so, I will say, you know, because atopic dermatitis is such a common condition and many pediatricians and primary care physicians are very comfortable with making at least the diagnosis and offering some treatments to start, you know, I, I find that most of my younger patients, you know, the infants and, and toddlers who are coming to see me for the first time, you know, they, they already have this diagnosis and, and it's really more about kind of, um, you know, discussions surrounding management and, and really tailoring kind of the treatment plan for those patients. And then um, I, I will say generally, I, I feel like some of the older kids that kind of come to see me, you know, for the first time when they're already school age or even older as, as adolescents, sometimes they're coming to see me more with, you know, a, a chief complaint of, of rash, right? They, they don't actually don't know that their rash is atopic dermatitis. And, and sometimes that's because, you know, they're not seeing their primary care physician that often once they get older, right? At, at younger ages, they're seeing their pediatrician or primary care physician, you know, every few months. But, you know, once you're an older child or teenager, you might be seeing them once a year for well visit, right? And so with atopic dermatitis being very much a waxing and waning condition for many children, you know, may just not come up at the annual well visit, and then they, you know, have a recurrence of their eczema, and, and then the families kind of call us up, you know, to, to be evaluated for a rash that turns out to be atopic dermatitis. So yeah, so there are so many, um, you know, varied experiences for patients and their families as to how they eventually access pediatric dermatology with folks like myself. Well, and thank you for those comments. And again, the word typical is, is is certainly you've told me a lot about the varying spectrum of the types of patients, but ultimately all, they all boil down to having atopic dermatitis. And it, it does sound challenging and, and, and stressful for the child and their family, uh, especially if their disease, as you mentioned, sometimes is severe enough that they've gone through the usual treatments with their family physician or, or pediatrician and then are coming to you. How do you approach these patients? What type of assessments do you do? Because as you pointed out, many of them come with a diagnosis made. And, and what are your priorities as you begin to assess and treat this varied group of patients? Yeah, so 
even before I get to sort of the assessment and kind of treatment phase, right, I, I have to remind myself that oftentimes when patients make it eventually to pediatric dermatology clinic, they have unfortunately struggled with the symptoms of atopic dermatitis for um, some time, usually. And, and part of that is actually because there's so few pediatric dermatologists a- around the, the country that, you know, it can often take several months just to get a new patient appointment, right? And, and so, you know, while I, I see kids who span the spectrum from, you know, mild atopic dermatitis to very severe disease, there is still a little bit of a selection bias in that many patients who end up coming to see me have pretty active disease, despite, you know, having tried some topical medications or, or such. And so, you know, it, it's not surprising that many patients and, and their caregivers are often already very stressed and, and kind of frustrated, right, by the care for their child's atopic dermatitis by the time that they see me. So, you know, first, I sort of have to recognize, right, that people are going to come with sort of all these varied previous experiences, previous treatments and such, and take a very comprehensive assessment to start. So from an assessment standpoint, I take a very detailed history about the child's atopic dermatitis, including, you know, when it started, you know, what triggers their uh, atopic dermatitis might have, treatments that they're currently using or have previously tried and, you know, how those worked. Um, You know, we review what their current bathing practices are, any family or personal history of atopic dermatitis or other related um, conditions. And then as part of the assessment, I do a very comprehensive skin exam where I look at the child's skin head to toe, literally, you know, sparing no no part of of their skin to to evaluate how active their eczema is. And, um, you know, I have to recognize that atopic dermatitis may not be as active on any given day that I see a child, right? And so we often will look for signs of kind of more chronic disease in, in the skin as well. And, and also, you know, use our clinical exam in, in the office in conjunction with a lot of the history that's reported by the families about how the child's eczema has been, you know, over the months or, or years. So with sort of both the clinical history and the exam, I I usually, you know, have a better understanding of how the child's disease course has been. And then that helps to guide some of my decision-making with respect to to treatments. So then, as you asked about, you know, when I think about kind of the treatment approach, generally, I like to compare it to, you know, steps of a ladder, right? Kind of thinking about, you know, for those with milder atopic dermatitis, we might be sort of at, at, you know, the lower runs of the ladder. And then as the, the disease gets more severe or not responsive to some of the therapies on the lower runs of the ladder than kind of escalating to some of the things on the higher runs of the ladder. And, and that's, you know, sort of a general rule, you know, the lower runs of the ladder include very sort of sensitive skin care for, for all kids with eczema, regardless of the severity of, of their disease. And then also topical therapies. These may include things like topical corticosteroids or non-steroidal um, topical therapies. And then as you move up the ladder, then we're talking about options like phototherapy or systemic medication. So as I said earlier, for every patient, I counsel caregivers and parents about skincare practices, including frequent moisturization, you know, guidelines for bathing practices, avoidance of triggers if there are any known ones. And then for the patients who have milder atopic dermatitis, I primarily rely on topical therapies. And, and so to figure out where to start, it kind of goes back to the history that I took, right? Asking about details about what the family has tried, being sure to kind of cover details about how they use these topicals previously, you know, how long were they being applied? Uh, you know, was it for a week at a time, two weeks, longer, shorter, 
you know, are they applying it once a day versus two, two times a day or, or more often? And then really getting into the details of, you know, when families say if the treatment has been failed or it didn't work, you know, what do they mean by that, right? Did it just never clear the eczema? Um, even after a couple of weeks of use, for example, or did it clear the eczema, but then, you know, soon after stopping within a day or two, the eczema kind of comes back. And so all these details are really informative for coming up with a treatment plan for any given child. And then, you know, as we move up the runs of the ladder, if, if kids are not responding appropriately to topical therapies or their atopic dermatitis is just so severe that it really needs to, you know, we need to escalate therapy. Then I start to think about, like I said, phototherapy, which is using ultraviolet light to treat the skin or systemic therapies, which will include injectable medications or oral medications for atopic dermatitis. And so to, you know, think about whether to initiate one of those more intensive um, treatment options, I think about and look at, you know, the severity of the skin condition. And, and also really, again, you know, linking back to kind of the, the history part, asking families and, and patients about how the eczema, you know, potentially has um, impacts on their day to day life, you know, how much it potentially mm-hmm. impacts mental health, for example, their sleep, which is another major area that we see in, in uh, adversely impacted by atopic dermatitis. And all of these things are very important considerations, you know, to take into account when we're making decisions about treatments. And, and then um, in the treatment, you know, decision-making process, there's yet another element of kind of just sharing that decision-making, right? Kind of making sure that when we are talking about the various treatment options that are available, and luckily we now have more and more numbers of, of treatments that are available for atopic dermatitis, being sure to kind of review, you know, each therapy's kind of risks and benefits with, with the child and, and their families um, so that, you know, they can make an informed decision as well, right? In, in sort of in combination with, with my recommendations to come up with a, a plan for treatment that is really kind of more patient and, and family-centered, ultimately. Well, thank you, Dr. Wan, for sharing that really detailed approach uh, to, to these patients. Uh, you know, I was particularly struck, and I'll use the word detail again, because you, you really stress it. A lot of it's about the details, details of history, details of what the patient has or has tried for themselves, details about what other physicians may have done. And then ultimately getting a, that understanding of, of both the patient and the patient's parents' preferences of how they may want to proceed from there, that uh, as you uh, will share decision-making. And, and from a payer's perspective, there's one thing uh, you know I'd like to pick up on. You mentioned it, and that is that there are very few of you pediatric dermatologists out there, and certainly... Uh, you know, that does at times create, from a payer's view, a, a, an access issue that patients who probably could benefit from expertise like yours, it's hard uh, for them sometimes to get those appointments. So there, there are definitely challenges there. And so thank you for sharing that. There is one area I want to focus on just a little bit more. You mentioned that laddered approach or stepwise approach. We in the payer world have stepwise approaches too in step therapy, but that may well be a a buzzword uh, that's not right. always a positive connotation in your end of the world. But let's think about those patients living with more severe atopic dermatitis. Many of them have other comorbidities, atopic comorbidities and others, uh, asthma being one of the common ones. How does the, the presence of those comorbidities and which comorbidities may influence your treatment approach? Yeah, absolutely, Dr. Owen. So as you mentioned, you know, there are a variety of comorbidities that can be associated with atopic dermatitis. And, you know, one of the strongest set of comorbidities that we think about are other atopic or allergic 
conditions like asthma, um, seasonal allergies is another very common one, food allergies as well. And so, you know, when we think about kind of treatment and selecting the appropriate treatments for these patients of ours who have, you know, not just eczema, but eczema plus, you know, asthma, seasonal allergies and such, um, we have to take all of these things into account. So, so first there's sort of, you know, an element of just coordinating care, right. With other specialists, making sure that, you know, we're in good communication with their, say their allergists or their pulmonologist, whoever's kind of leading the way and treating some of these other comorbidities for the patient. And just, you know, being certain that we can coordinate our care, potentially sometimes select therapies that will, you know, kill two or three, you know, birds with one stone, essentially, right? So there are some, unfortunately, now, you know, therapies that can both help with severe eczema, but also help with severe asthma. And so, you know, in, in these um, situations, it's really, you know, helpful to recognize that, you know, there are therapies that, you know, we, we can offer to patients that will, you know, care for multiple of, of their um, medical conditions. And so that requires coordination with their other treating specialists to sort of discuss, you know, is any given therapy appropriate, right? And, and then to kind of coordinate who may be taking the lead in, in terms of, you know, prescribing and, and managing and monitoring, um, you know, side effects and, and uh, things related to the medication. And then, you know, to, to kind of take a step back and, and think about other comorbidities that often can be seen in children with eczema and adults with eczema, you know, I, I would say that infections are another big category of complications and, and comorbidities that one can see, particularly a variety of skin infections that can occur in patients with atopic dermatitis because the skin barrier is not normal in atopic dermatitis and the skin is less able to you know, fight off certain types of infections as compared to, you know, somebody without atopic dermatitis. And so I care for a lot of kids who get recurrent bacterial skin infections, viral skin infections and the like. And it's important to, you know, be aware of, of these complications because that often introduces, you know, another complexity of care, you know, whether it's, you know, needing more urgent care, right, or access to urgent evaluation for these infections that may arise. Or, you know, thinking about, you know, treatment options that will help to reduce, you know, the frequency of some of these infectious complications. So those considerations definitely play a role. And then beyond, you know, infections and other allergic comorbidities, I think there's also now, unfortunately, a growing recognition that atopic dermatitis can be associated with a lot of non-allergic and non-infectious comorbidities, things like depression, anxiety, even ADHD. You know, there are reports of children with eczema having greater rates of ADHD compared to children without eczema. There's also now studies coming forth um, in both children and adults with atopic dermatitis that perhaps some of them are also at greater risk for other chronic conditions, things like inflammatory bowel disease or cardiovascular risk as well. And, and so, you know, um, obviously additional studies need to be kind of done in some of those areas to further clarify, you know, the magnitude of those risks and such. But, you know, I think atopic dermatitis is now being understood as perhaps not just a skin limited condition, right, at the end of the day, that it, um, it, it certainly has impact on a variety of other organ systems and, and, you know, can be linked to a variety of other conditions. So, you know, for, for these other conditions, as I talked about earlier, it's really important to be able to coordinate, you know, our patient's care with other specialists and their primary care doctors as well. And then these comorbidities will certainly have implications for treatment. And, and so my other plug will be that, you know, um, especially for children with atopic dermatitis and who face a lot of kind of psychosocial impairment because of, of this really chronic and debilitating skin disease, you know, it's important to be able to coordinate our care with 
Um, sometimes there are specialists who are in pediatric psychology or even pediatric you know, psychiatry to, to also help to address some of the more global emotional and, and uh, mental health kind of symptoms and challenges that can come with this condition. Okay, great. And again, okay. thank you, Dr. Wan, for that insight on some of the comorbid conditions that many of them you think about, the, the atopic conditions, because uh, they commonly come together. But I think you shared a, a great perspective that payers need to think about. There are other conditions, mental health conditions, family stresses that can uh, it can occur, especially in pediatric patients who maybe aren't doing well or have issues, uh, social issues at school because of their skin diseases. And and the thing that I heard most there was that need to coordinate care, coordinate care sometimes across multiple uh, specialties and multiple physicians, which can be challenging. Sometimes payers can lend a hand in that with case managers and helping assist the, the, the patients with that coordination of care, as well as you, the pediatric dermatologist. So it does sound like there are a lot of complexities here that we may not always think about with when we talk about atopic dermatitis patients uh, in general. And so that leads to a, another thing is, you know, I was thinking about all the struggles along the way that families you see must face. Uh, things like, as you pointed out, that constant itching, which can often lead to, to loss of sleep and other uh, stresses that are out there. Tell me a, a little bit about some of the non-clinical aspects of gaining access to appropriate care. You know, do we as payers create administrative burdens that can be better handled? Are there system-wide administrative issues? And you mentioned the, the lack of pediatric dermatologists at, at once. What are some of those non-clinical things that, that you and your patients may have to deal or struggle with? Yeah, so I would say there's probably kind of two big you know, time points, right, in, in the journey of a patient and family as they seek care for atopic dermatitis, where we run into a lot of kind of non-clinical challenges. And, and the one, you know, the, the earlier time point is probably just getting access, getting the foot in the door with, you know, a pediatric dermatologist. And we've already, you know, said multiple times, right, there, it's a little bit of a supply and demand issue. We just don't have enough pediatric dermatologists to, you know, be able to provide all, all the care that our patients and, and, you know, that families may need. And so it, it just takes so many months sometimes to, you know, get in to see a pediatric dermatologist. But sometimes, you know, in, in that setting, right, it's also an issue of perhaps, for example, being out of network, right? So, you know, fortunately for, for us, we accept most insurances. And so I think, Generally, you know, families are able to access our care, but, you know, on, on, you know, the occasion, there are some plans that unfortunately our health system doesn't accept, right? And, you know, providers who might be in, in the private practice space may also have, you know, different constraints with respect to kind of insurance plans and, and things. And so sometimes, you know, some patients just have, you know, an inability, I would say, to access a pediatric dermatologist unless they, you know, go out of network or, you know, sort of try to kind of, you know, appeal, right, for access to care to a, a particular specialist um, in, in this field. And then, you know, the other time point that I would say that, you know, takes up a lot of sort of time and also creates a lot of burden for both clinicians and their teams, as well as patients, is really, you know, access to, to medications and, and treatments um, for atopic dermatitis. You know, the, the nice thing about kind of treatments for atopic dermatitis is that the number has, has grown over the years. And, you know, there's been accelerated growth, especially in the last, you know, five plus years or so. And we hope we'll, you know, continue to, you know, increase in terms of the number of therapies that we have available. But, you know, as, as a consequence of that, right, there's also, you know, a lot more non-clinical burdens kind of associated with helping patients access 
those therapies. And I would say that, you know, our clinical teams here, right, our nurses, our medical assistants, myself, right, we spent a lot of time doing administrative work related to prior authorizations, you know, peer to peers and things along those lines to be able to, you know, help our patients access the therapies that, you know, we feel that they really need. And so this takes up a lot of time and effort. And then families are also, you know, sort of additionally stressed, you know, by these considerations and, and sort of the the thinking that, you know, that they might not be able to access a treatment that is really going to kind of, you know, help finally help, right, their child's um, atopic dermatitis. And so while we have, you know, certainly internal procedures here within our clinical teams to try to make these processes more efficient, it's still a lot of time and effort expended on these non-clinical activities that unfortunately can detract from patient care. And, and then also, I think, you know, as you were mentioning earlier, Dr. Owens, kind of more system-wide, right, kind of things that, that you know, hopefully solutions, right, that could be applied, um, you know, beyond kind of the internal processes that we try to take on and, and to develop and to kind of minimize these non-clinical burdens. And so, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of these uh, non-clinical issues, hopefully, you know, can, can actually get some better solutions if we think about it from more of a systems kind of approach and, and from all stakeholders, really, right, who are involved in a lot of these processes. Right. And I fully understand the, the burden sometimes that these non-clinical issues you know, place on you and patients. And, and we in payers, believe it or not, struggle with it, too, because on one hand, we want to make sure that patients have access to care and have affordable care, but that requires us to also be fiscally responsible uh, right. to make that care affordable. And it really is a tough balance between not imposing too many constraints and at the same time trying to manage that fiscal aspect that's sometimes very difficult. So as, as we move forward and sort of coming down the home stretch in this talk, is there any one thing you think would be critically important for payers to know about pediatric patients in atopic dermatitis from your perspective. What's that key message I think we want our payer audience uh, to hear about these patients? It could be about access, it could be about treatments, or, or it could be about anything you think is that critical insight you want to provide. Yeah, I, I guess I have two main insights. One is, you know, that atopic dermatitis can be incredibly disruptive for children and their families. And sometimes, you know, that is not easily captured with sort of a quote unquote, objective measure, right, of skin severity, right, that the skin disease can have tremendous impact on quality of life, on, you know, sleep, on a lot of kind of day-to-day -day functioning for families and, and the children who, who have this condition. And so, you know, realizing that, you know, the, the severe disruptions that atopic dermatitis can have on patients and their families is the, the first message. And, and then the second message kind of related to that, you know, is, is really how important it is to be able to, you know, access treatments, right, for our patients, and, and to be able to access those treatments early on, if, if we need to, right, to kind of remove some of those barriers, because a, you know, it gets at treating, you know, a lot of the disruptions that I just mentioned, and, and kind of the first takeaway point. But B, you know, the goal with sort of more proactive earlier treatment is really to minimize kind of the, you know, longer term potential consequences, right, of dealing with with eczema. And, and I will say, you know, as we've had, you know, more and more effective systemic therapies come out for eczema, you know, you sort of hear stories from, from families about how they've tried a lot of different therapies over years, right? And, and all of a sudden, they found, quote, unquote, you know, the wonder drug, right, for, for their eczema. And it just transforms everyone's lives, right? Not just for the child, but the family. And, and so, you know, 
when you hear these stories about, you know, how transformative really um, access to good treatments early on in the disease process can be for families, I, I think, you know, it makes it much more sort of acute for me that it's important to um, make sure that, that we can help our, our patients really access the most, you know, effective care at the earliest time possible in their disease kind of journey. So th- those would be my, my two main takeaway points, Dr. Owens. Well, I think there are great takeaway points. One is that atopic dermatitis uh, has a lot more effects than just skin effects, and there are lots of impacts on quality of life, family dynamics, mental health, and and other things that we as payers may not always recognize because we don't see the, the patients day to day. And and I think your point is well taken. We have these transformative therapies that, uh, as you point out, can be life-changing, and we want to try to create the appropriate access. And, and, and again, we have to listen to people like you and try to balance what's appropriate, yet it's still at the same time, you know, manage that fiscal responsibility that we have. So your, your points are well taken. And I think a very sage advice uh, to payers and hopefully uh, some of our payer audience uh, will pick up on that. So with that, I think we've about run out of the time allotted for our discussion. I want to thank you, Dr. Wan, for sharing your thoughts uh, today on how we can improve quality of care for these patients with atopic dermatitis, in particular, the pediatric patients. I also want to thank our sponsors, Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, for their support of this activity. And for those listening for logical or or logistical or technical questions regarding claiming credit or other issues, please email impacteducation at info at impactedu.net. That's I-M-P-A-C-T-E-D-U dot net. And with that, thank you all for listening and enjoy the rest of the day. 